0: Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Lilly. I'm one of the uh, associate pastors here, and we are continuing our series on uh, the mission statement. And as you came in, hopefully you grabbed one of these, a little bookmark that has the mission statement written on it. And if you can grab it, we're about to read through it. Um, If you haven't memorized, you don't need to grab it. You just can, you know, go from rote memory Um, But we're continuing down through the mission statement. Uh, Last week, we talked about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this week, we we go into a loving community. So join with me. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is that part where you guys join with me. (laughs) Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Evie Free Fullerton is a loving community, united in sacrifice and living like Christ for the glory of God. Well done. And if you'll notice on the back, there's also the same symbols that are up here. Um, They were a little bit mysterious last week. Now there's a little hint. uh, Darren's like just letting a little bit out at a time. So there's a verse. You could do a little Bible study on it, and it will help you figure it out. These are also tattoos so that you can just do the rub-on thing and be just like Darren. So... um, (laughs) If you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians 3, uh, because this whole thing about loving community is so saturated in the Scriptures that it almost is one of those that you're going, do you really have to put it in the mission statement? Because it's so much about who we are as, an organ, as, a, as a body of believers that this should permeate us in every way. But we're going to take a look at a really specific way that Scripture talks about how we are loving in community. Now I know that when, uh, when we were dividing it up and I was tasked with speaking about loving community, I asked Aaron, I said, well, you know, do you want it to be that we are loving our community, like we're going out and loving the community, or do you want it sort of like the McDonald's commercial that we're loving it, we're loving community, like this is just awesome that we're all together in community, this is great. Or are we defining ourselves that we are a loving community? And he said, yes, yes, that's what we mean. And we're gonna look at it specifically this morning is how this passage kind of lays it open. So if you've got your Bibles, follow along in uh, Colossians 3. And uh, we're gonna jump in at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's just a great passage. It begins with this list of virtues right off the bat. So verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, compassion, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as if the Lord has forgiven you. You also must forgive, and above all these, put on love. Put on these virtues. So right off the bat, the thing that we've got to unpack here just a little bit is the idea of putting on these virtues, that we have this list of seven pretty cool virtues that you, you look at this and, and you stop and say, well, this is pretty good by itself that I would be compassionate, that I would be kind, that I would be humble, that I would be meek, that I would be patient, that I would be forbearing, that I would be forgiving. That's a pretty good list. And the putting on, by the way, just to to give you a really quick metaphor, it's like clothes. You put them on. They become part of you. It's, It's something that you physically have to decide to put on you. So to put on these virtues, that's pretty good. That's a good list. But the next part that he stops and he says, but above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This binds is actually a a word that means ligament. In fact, in the original language, it says it is ligament. That's the word that's used, a ligament. Now, to get this picture together, you have to understand that alone, these things don't function as well. They're not as good if you just have compassion. And I know this from my time at working at a rescue mission. We would have people that would go, I'm super compassionate about homeless people. And then I would see other things they were doing in their life, and they weren't very compassionate about other things in life. There are things like that. that Some people, they they care about animals, and they just love pets. And so they're down at the, the animal shelter all the time being very compassionate about pets, but they're not compassionate about other things in life. So compassion by itself isn't a standalone that solved all your problems. It's just one virtue by itself. And the same thing can be said about the others as we talk about meekness or humility. When we think about patience, the whole idea about patience is that you might have to stand in a line and you're thinking, I'm gonna be patient. I'm gonna stand in the line. And then you notice somebody come up and they cut in the line and you yell at them. And you stop and say, hey, what are you doing? Get in the back of the line like the rest of us. Be patient. Oh, for crying out loud. And you are very patient with them, you're being patient to stand up. In other words, these virtues by themselves don't literally transform us. They're things that should be a part of us, but it says above all else put on love because love binds all these together and makes them work together as a ligament, like a ligament, Got right? I thought, what the heck does a ligament do? And I went and had to Google, what does a ligament do? And sure enough, it makes sense. If you think about it, the very thing a ligament does is it's the, it's the fibers that actually hold bones together when they flex and do different things, the the ligaments hold them together. So for example, you have ligaments in your knee. And one of the things that happens is, in my thigh, I have a lot of muscle, and I have one big bone, the femur. You do too. And in that process, there's a ligament that attaches my femur to my calf uh, bones. There's two bones down here. And in all that muscle there. Now, by themselves, they're almost worthless. They just would flop around. But it's those ligaments that literally hold them together and keep them functioning just right. That's the concept of all these virtues being held together like a ligament that's got the two really important parts tied together. Now think about this. We can take some of the best athletes in the world as skilled as they are, as wonderful as they are, all they have to do is get a slight tear in their ACL, which stands for anterior cruciate ligament. It is a ligament with a slight tear, and at that point, they're out of the game, they're out of the season, they're done, simply because that ligament is not binding it together, is not holding it together. When it's functioning right, then I can do this, I can jump, I can spin, I can dance, I can do all of these things, simply because I have a ligament, because it's working, it's all held together. That's what these virtues do when you put on love. When you put on love, all the rest is beautiful. Not quite the way I dance, but beautiful still. It's the concept that when we look at this, this idea of being a loving community is that we're not just loving, and we're not just patient, and we're not just compassionate, but literally these things are bound together, and it exudes out of us because we have put on love. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning as we jump into this. So... the. The passage, as it says, put on, though, is something that becomes problematic. Because when it says, above all of these, put on love, put on is a command. It's not, hey, you might try this out. Maybe sometime if you're bored, you should try love a little bit. You could think about love. And it's like... No, it says you actually put it on. This is Paul. But Paul's not alone on this. So Paul, as he's writing his letter to the Colossians, says it's really important that you put on love because all these virtues come together when you put on love. But he's literally pulling this out from something that Jesus said. So if you've got your Bibles, jump over to John 13. And in John 13, we have Jesus saying something remarkably similar. And we're going to jump in. uh, Let's jump in right at about verse 34 of chapter 13 of John. What I want to mention to you is this, just to put it in place where you are, is this is the, the Last Supper. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. He's just had that conversation with Judas where he's, he sends him out and says, whatever you do, do quickly. And Judas has just now left. And Jesus is having this conversation right after that. So in verse 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So a couple of things I want to point out right off the bat is once again, it's a command. Jesus stops and says, a new commandment I give to you. And that's why Paul later on says, put on love because it's a command that Jesus told us, you're supposed to do this. But you have to ask a question, a new commandment, what was the old commandment? So this is a new commandment, what was the old one? Why do we need a new one, what happened to the old one? The old commandment is pretty simple and you probably know it well, Because when the the young ruler, the lawyer came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, "What what do the scriptures say? What does the law say? And it says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great verse. That's a great command all by itself. But Jesus says, I have a new command. And the new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's a comparison thing. If you look at it, it's an example that's been said. In the old commandment, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So Bambi down here in front, she loves herself. All of you love yourself. It's just natural of us. But Bambi's model, the bar for how she can love with the first commandment, the old commandment, is just as much as she loves herself. And that gets up to a certain height But no further, it's not possible for her to do any more than what she can do with loving herself. That's all she's capable of. Until that Holy Spirit that we talked about and be empowered by comes in and indwells us and gives us a whole different kind of love, which is the new commandment that says, love as I have loved you. Not as you love yourself, but the way I did it, the way I do it, the way I am doing it, that's how you're supposed to do it. So the model is no longer just be a loving person, kind of like the way you love yourself. Don't use that model. Use this model, which is love in such a way that you love the way he did. That the example, the bar, the model for us is now Jesus himself. The challenge is the way Jesus did it, right? He made huge sacrifices for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That concept of loving it that way, it goes back to that definition when we were talking about love in Proverbs. You remember that, the definition that said that the righteous, in this case, we said we'll equal that with love, that the righteous will disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. That you put yourself at a disadvantage for the advantage of community. This is what Jesus did. He stopped and put himself at disadvantage, died on the cross for our advantage. That's the story of the gospel. And it's the thing that stops and says, this is why we can say with confidence that Jesus loves all of us. It doesn't matter what we do. Now, when I was working at uh, the mission, one of the things we would do is we would have an outreach team that would go into some of the most difficult places and there was one encampment where there's some people had been living quite a while there's one lady in that encampment who had some pretty severe mental health issues and physical issues she was wheelchair-bound and in this wheelchair she could barely get around and where they were living when it would rain sometimes rains in Seattle, when it would rain, it would get muddy and her wheelchair wouldn't work very well. And she had gotten some diarrhea and it was really difficult for her to get to the little porta potty that the city had set near the encampment. So one day, our outreach team had come over to check on the the people that are in this encampment that were struggling with all kinds of issues, and they heard her crying out. They went over to her tent. Her name's Delilah, and they said, what's up, Delilah? And as soon as the tent opened, they could smell just that things weren't good. But they went in, they scooped her up, and she had said she needed to use the restroom. So they carried her over to the restroom, and she said, guys, I'm sorry, but it's kind of too late, and they put her in there, and they said, "Well, let's do this, let's clean you up, and we'll get you some new clothes." And so they started to wash her while one of our other guys, a friend of mine, Brian, goes into the tent, and as he goes into the tent to find her clothes, the tent just smells horrific. And as he goes into it, he finds not only the clothes, but he sees where her sleeping bag is, covered by just mounds of blankets that she had laid on top of each other, but she had soiled in between the layers of the blankets. And he doesn't know if that's days or weeks, but it's so bad that there are literally maggots in her bedding that have started to live. Now, here's the thing. That story right now is really inappropriate for church on a Sunday morning. It's disgusting. It makes us feel bad. We don't want to be reminded of those kind of things, except that when we're talking about putting on love, When we're talking about what Jesus did, this is the example. It's the idea that when we have something that's unlovable, when something that's actually more repulsive that we want to back out of, those are the things that we're called to put on love to do something about. Because here's the question, why does it command us to put on love unless somehow love has fallen off? Now, I don't know about you, and I think it's a good thing, but when I put on clothes, you can be grateful for this, they stay on. This would be embarrassing right now otherwise. But when you put clothes on, they stay on. So why is it that we're commanded to put them on unless they have somehow fallen off or unless somehow we've taken them off? Somehow we've discarded love. We've moved away from it because there's something that we don't actually want to love at that moment. And we've taken love off. This is why the command to put on love. But something happens that day at that encampment is as they do it, they take the tent down, they get rid of the bedding, they get rid of the tent, they pop up a new tent, they put in a new sleeping bag, and new blankets, and new clothes, and some wipes, and things for her to care for herself, and we begin a targeted reach with that woman, not only to keep her clean, but to get her into housing and care that would support her. I know this story because weeks later, I heard the story from the mayor of Seattle who had heard it from a city council person, who had heard it from the Seattle Police Department, who happened to be at that encampment that morning, and they watched the whole thing happen, and they told us later, they said, there is no way we were going to help that woman. We would have had to call some people that had hazmat suits on before we would have come in contact with her. And we sat and watched you pick her up, change her clothes, wash her down, get her all set up. And they said, who are you guys? Who are you? all the way to the mayor. Now listen to what Jesus says in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. His example. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. People will know. This is Jesus saying the reason you love this way is so that people will know. Not about us, but about him. The reason why it's in our mission statement to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, Evie Free Fullerton is a loving community, is because we don't just want to love each other. That's wonderful. We're, most of you, it's wonderful. But it's the idea that there's this, this thing out there that how we love each other actually points people towards God. People know him. All people will know that you are my disciples because of how you love each other. This is how we love our community, how we reach out to our community in this very way. And I love that whole idea that what we're using here is an example of what Jesus does. And once again, even as he's telling this story, even as he says, my new commandment, remember that this is Judas who just is is leaving right now to betray him. One of his disciples who have been walking with him for three years. He's letting walk out the door so he can betray him. And the very next conversation, if you just jump up a couple of verses, if you look at verse 38, Jesus answered, will you, he's talking to Peter, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three these three times. Jesus is telling this story about how to love one another in the middle of two people that are not very lovable at that moment. And he inserts it right in the middle of those two moments, this little teaching lesson about loving each other between two people that aren't lovable. You see, there's another way to become a loving community. It's simply to get those of you who are not loving out of here So let's say that from this aisle over, none of you are loving or you're having a problem with it. You just sometimes have to be commanded to put it on because sometimes it's not on and you're not always loving. But this side is really loving all the time. Let's get rid of all of you and then we've got a loving community that would be awesome. Let's get rid of the others. Or maybe there are people in the audience who are actually hard to love because this is the way it is. We're not talking about going out and loving the whole community as much as there's somebody in this congregation that you don't quite fit with, you've been at odds with. They may have hurt you. They may have offended you. They may have done something that's just made you mad. And you're holding it at bay and going, yeah, well, they did that. You just don't know. I don't, and I don't want to know. What I know is this, is if we could identify, if everybody will take out a card, write down their name and send it to me, we'll ask all of those people to leave the church, because if they would leave the church, we could then be a loving community, because all the bad apples would be gone. (laughs) Except for one problem, huh? We're the bad apples. All of us. Every single one of us are a mess. We blow it again and again and again. And this is the kind of love that God has as he reaches into our life and says, I'm going to love you anyway in spite of that. My years at Hume, we would sometimes work, we had 500 college students, and because they're college age, they're meeting their mates, and the people they're going to marry, and so they meet somebody, they fall in love, and then they'll come to Eugenie and I, my wife, and they'll say, hey, would you do some premarital counseling with us? And so as we did that over the years, we started to come up with illustrations, and one of the things we would talk about is how you move from this initial fall in love as a feeling to the actual thought and action of being in love and making an active choice. But it happens when you stop and do certain things. You, you bring romance into a relationship. You do things more purposefully. And so what we did was we wanted to give an illustration of that. So we used what we refer to as a patented datometer, Because somebody would come up and go, I want to date this girl. What's the really best date I could give? And, and so we would give an example and we said, alright. All right here's the patent datometer, and, data meter, and I'll, I'll use this as the middle line. And so, um, that's not good. <laughs> Luckily, Jesus loves those bad apples. <laughs> so the patent datometer stops and says, "Everything on this side is not a date. Everything is on this side is a date." So that means that we'll, we'll use Darren and Shannon, and Darren's senior pastor, Shannon's like senior wife. So, as they, we go, Darren is just simply trying to date Shannon and say, I love you, I want to romance you, I want to have a life with you, that kind of a thing. And so, in the process, he's walking down the street one day and he sees her house. So, he goes up and he knocks on the door, and Shannon opens the door and he says, What are you doing, Shannon? And she says, I'm watching Bonanza. And he says, Oh, which, which show is it? It's the one where Hoss gets shot. Oh, I love that show. And so, he decides to come in and watch. Is that a date? Remember, everything on this side is not a date. Everything on that side is a date. Where's Darren at? Is he on the date side? And <laughs> this is always fun because there's the women are all going nope, and there's a couple of guys going yeah that's good this is great. So that's not a date. Darren comes up, knocks on the door. Hey, what are you doing? I'm watching uh, Husky Shot. Hey, you want to go for a walk to the park? Yeah, let's go for a walk to the park. And they take a walk down to the park. Is that a date? A lot of conviction there now, right? And this is what happens is that everybody's kind of like, well, so kind of sort of, but not really. Like if that's the date I get, I guess if if I had to hang out with Darren, I'd do that. But uh, in general, that's probably not a date either, right? Watch what happens. He knocks on the door. You want to go to the park? She says yes. They go to a walk to the park, and as they get to the park, there's this grassy hillside. They go on the other side, and there's a picnic blanket all laid out. There's a picnic basket right there. There's a little vase of flowers, candles, some music playing, her favorite music. And as he opens up the basket, he reaches in, and he grabs a sandwich, and it's a pita bread sandwich with Brussels sprouts and anchovies and crushed lifesavers over the top. Cherry, because butterscotch are for formal occasions. And he takes it and he hands this sandwich to Shannon. And Shannon takes the sandwich and she looks at it. And she starts to cry. And she says, how did you know? This is my all-time favorite sandwich. And no one knows that but my mom. Did you call my mom? You did. You called my mom. How sweet. That's so. Where's that at on the data meter? Yeah, do you hear that? It's people not going well a little bit. They're all pointing. You're way over on that side of the meter. Here's what just happened. Think about this. This is fascinating. This works with your marriage too. That's not the main point. But here's the, the, the fascinating thing about it. What made a walk to the park and a, that walk to the park different? Was it the Brussels sprouts? What was it? Make plans it's forethought and planning. The fact of the message that Darren gave isn't that you're hungry, isn't that you need some exercise, isn't that you need some flowers. It was, I'm going to take the time to find out who you are and what you like, what it is that you need, and I'm going to do those things. The forethought and planning is what plays out, and that's what makes something romantic, that's what makes something loving, that's what makes this stuff work, this whole idea of a loving community says it's that, now if you don't believe me, think about it for just a second, in Ephesians 1-4, it says that before the foundations of the earth, God knew and loved us and chose us, before the foundations of the, the earth, that's before most of you were born, That before you were born, he's already planning, he's already thinking, he's already setting out the blanket, he's setting out the picnic basket, he's laying it out because he loves you so dearly that he's already made the plan so that when you finally become aware of what he's doing, that he's love, all you have to do is fall into his arms and he's there and he's already done all the hard work. That's the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a story of romance. It's a story of a beautiful love. And this is what he's saying. Put on love. Be those kind of people. Be those people who are thinking and planning. Because this thing about love, it falls off. Unfortunately, I think most of the time is we take it off. The reason why we we have to be commanded to put on love is because we've taken it off that love is an action, it's a decision, it's a choice, it's something that if we're going to do it well, we have to be thinking about it and say, I will determine to do this. We do this with our marriages, we do this with the people we care about. If we have a friend we really, really like, we decide, well, I want to do something with my friend, what could I do? And you plan a concert, or you plan a dinner out, or you plan something. That it's the idea that when we get to this question about putting on love, it means that we have to stop and physically say we're going to do this thing. Now, what I love about this church is that you're known for this. I have examples. Things that I've seen over the years, but even more recently, as the teaching team was getting together to talk about this this idea of being a loving community, I asked them, are there examples of people that have been loving in this community? There was silence. No, they actually had ideas right away. And one of them, uh, Ginny Keys, she said uh, she told a story, and some of you may know the story better than I. I didn't know, didn't know the woman, I didn't know the story, but there was a, one of the congregation had gotten cancer. And at the memorial service, Jenny's there at the memorial service, and had, a woman comes up and starts talking about the woman who had passed away. And she says, this woman changed my life. And so Jenny said, well, how so? And she said, well, I never actually knew her very well. It's was like, well, how did she change your life? And it was like, well, it wasn't her per se. It was the entire community that as she went into this time with cancer, the way this body of believers visited, loved on, took care of family, brought meals, were there in the hospital with her, were standing with her whole family through all of this difficult time. She said, I watched that and said, who does that? What is this? Remember what Jesus said? All people will know. People will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's just a cool story, but it goes on. One of them, I, gotta, I, I don't even know this individual, but his name is Brian Witt. And Brian, you might even be here. I'm sorry for calling you out. But uh, apparently, Brian, on his uh, free time, when he has extra like discretionary time, he goes and visits old people that are in convalescent homes, in nursing homes. On his own volition, his own choice, nobody's paying him, nobody's asking him, he's putting on love and going to visit people just to be there, just to love on them. What a beautiful picture of what this is. Um, There's another, there's a couple apparently here that literally does, uh, they invite, they plan ahead and they, they print up little tickets for lunch and they invite people for lunch. I don't know where they're at, but I'm gonna find it and we're all gonna go back there and sit in that area because they invite you to lunch, they plan out the lunch tickets and if you get one of the lunch tickets, you get to go to lunch with them. And they have a little garden lunch. That sounds wonderful. Let's all go. That's cool. One last example. When uh, Eugenie and I were going through a tough time because we were in the camping ministry for a while at Hume Lake, we knew Bob and Carol Craning because of their time in the camping ministry. And so as we were going through this tough time, uh, we were talking briefly with them, and they said, "Why don't we grab dinner together?" And they gave us a night, and a long night, and we spent hours just investing in us, ministering to us, praying with us, but really just being friends. They put on love. Well, this last week, Bob Craning um, had some health challenges and had to go into the hospital. And as he had to go into the hospital, I started to think about Bob, and he started thinking about this, of how would we put on love for Bob Craning, who's put on love for all of the rest of us so many times? Many of you know Bob and Carol. And I shared this illustration in the first service that what we ought to do is if Bob, who's done so much for us, Bob and Carol have done so much for us, what would we do for them? How would we show them our love? That it takes forethought and planning. We have to make a decision. If we're going to be a loving community, we have to decide to do something. So I encouraged the whole service to think through what you might do, whether that's a visit, a phone call, a note, something like that. But I'm going to change it this time. And here's the reason I'm going to change it. After the first service and towards the beginning of the second one, I looked out the windows and here's Bob and Carol and they're coming in the door. And I'm thinking, oh, man, they just spoiled my illustration. So I've asked them to leave. No, I didn't. But what I want us to do is imagine that they're not here. And instead... If any of you have been somehow impacted by Bob or Carol, would you raise your hand? Those of you who are raising your hand, would you put on love, would you commit to write a note to, to j- describe how much they've meant to you? That you plan, you decide, you make a choice to say, I am going to put on love regarding the crannies, whether it's Bob or Carol, and write a note to them. I would love it if we would flood them with 150, 200, 500 notes that would say how much they mean to us. It's not the number. What's most important is that by us doing it, Jesus stops and says, you're showing my love for you to the rest of the world. The bottom line, as we look at this, this is a command. It's not an encouragement. It's not something that he's saying, you ought to consider doing this. He's commanding now all of us to put on love so we're going to give you some time to do it and I will tell you that as I've been studying these passages and thinking about it and praying about it that whole part that Darren talked about by being empowered by the Holy Spirit remember the the rockets attached to the roller skates kind of thing that it just is power, it changes who we are we're going to ask you to be crying out that the Holy Spirit would point out who in your life you need to love Who in your life are you holding at a distance? Who in your life are you avoiding because of the unpleasantries, because they hurt you, because you need to forgive them, because you need to ask for their forgiveness? I don't know what it is. I want the Holy Spirit to do that. But we're going to give you time this morning to literally stop and pray, hear out what God is laying on your heart, and then come up with a plan, a way that you can choose to act to begin to redeem that relationship. And I will tell you, I have a letter that's to somebody in my life that I have to reach out to. And it's already written. I didn't write their name on it because I didn't want you to see who it was, lest you're in here, Bob. And, uh, you know, You you get the assignment. Put on love. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, as we are about to just simply give a couple of thoughts to who you might be calling us to love, we ask for you, for you to reach into each of our lives, that every one of us might be humble enough and meek enough to stop and say, Lord, show me who I need to love and what I need to do. And the Lord, give us some creative ideas on ways we can indeed purpose to reach out to those we need to love. And Lord, by that, that all might know you. Lord, I am so grateful that you've sent your spirit that does indeed convict in all areas of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And even now that you're whispering to so many of us of ways that we can be loving. Lord, may we remember that we have to do this again later today, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, that putting on love isn't just something that we've been commanded to do, but Lord, it's a beautiful way to be in a loving community. Lord may you continue to transform each of us empowered by your spirit so that we would be known and recognized as followers of you that more may come to know you and know your father who sent you. We love you Lord and thank you for your love and we ask you